Hello, I'm Mike Bregatelli. This is Mike Adelic, and today's guest is J.P. Sears, internet comedian and spiritual healing coach. Today we get into how to live your life, not be a pussy. Stay tuned. <laughs> uh, experimenting with different intros. I don't know. You know, it was kind of a McLaughlin group uh, intro. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that one. So, uh, I'm, I'm not even familiar with it. I'm only familiar with the Saturday Night Live version with Phil Hartman, where he uh, yells at people and smokes cigarettes in a circle. Apparently, it was a popular show in the 80s, 90s. Anyway, I'm Mike Brancatelli. Hey, welcome to Mike Adelic. Welcome to my show. Uh, got a great one for you today. J.P. motherfucking Sears in the house. Um, he asked me to say it like that. I, uh, I normally won't curse, but uh, J.P. insisted. No, I'm just kidding. He did not. J.P. is a great guy. We had a great conversation. His new book, How to Be Ultra Spiritual. 12 and a half steps to spiritual superiority is uh is out it's awesome and um you guys have to buy it if you guys don't buy it then uh you know then you're then you're obviously not committed to to the spiritual path and you know why are you even listening to this podcast um no but JP is uh JP's great he's um you know I had real joy talking to him he his videos for those of you who don't know on YouTube um, Awaken with JP. Uh, he makes just hilarious satirical videos. You know how how to how to get offended uh, if meat eaters acted like vegans. Um, using essential oils. There's there's all these kinds of great videos. I mean, I could you know g- genius uses for coconut oil. How to become gluten intolerant. So many great. Uh, great videos that he has on his YouTube channel. So go check that out. Awaken with JP, and uh, yeah, you, be prepared to to laugh because uh, he's really he's really nailing it with his uh, enlightened spiritual comedy that we that, that's gracing YouTube up to like almost five hundred thousand subscribers on on YouTube, which is I mean the dude is killing it, absolutely killing it. So a uh, real pleasure to have him on the show. He's um, you know, also an emotional healing coach and, and uh, as an author, like I said, he gives speeches, he travels around and um, empowers people to live, to live more meaningful lives. And I think that, uh, you know, that's a, that's a much needed service in, in our world today. You know, there's so much serious and seriousness and rigidity and, and, and stuff. And, you know, levity, and and laughing at ourselves is much needed uh, today in today's day and age. And JP is definitely here to fill that void and and deliver deliver the goods. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know, I don't know really what else to say. Really, I mean, I, I think we're just going to jump right into this one because um, it was just a great conversation. You know, I, I wish I had. I, I honestly, I mean, I, I know how many times I say this, and you guys are going to be like, you say this all the time, but. I could uh, I could I could talk to JP for for hours on end. I mean, I think we had uh, a great conversation, and um, you know, he just I seem like he seems like a a, a very um, what's the word I want kin kin is that is that the word I'm looking for? You know, when you when you uh, when you feel like you're connected to somebody, I don't know. I, someone will have to uh, to to fill me in on that kinship. I don't know. Something. Okay, I'm not intelligent. I never claim to be. I don't even know why you guys are listening to me. Seriously, what are you doing? There's no, okay, stick around, listen, don't go anywhere. Um, yeah, so anyway, look, the guy's hilarious. He's absolutely hilarious, and he's just, he's exposing 
so many of these things that we that we take seriously in all these little sectors of our lives, you know, with things to do with spirituality, things, you know, a lot of it comes from this this need to kind of improve ourselves and and be better, be better people and you know, we have to we have to kind of project like we we are we're, we're we know and we're being better and and look at look at how look at how well I'm doing, you know, like uh, I'm a I'm a vegan and I'm I'm morally superior, you know, superior to you and whatnot and da 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 da. And you know, this happens in all areas of life, of course, right? I think it's just in human nature, you know, but we need we need somebody to be sitting on the sidelines of life and say, hey, you guys are being ridiculous. You know, we need that person. That is a much needed person. And I think without those kinds of people in life, that the, the life would be a really kind of dark and troublesome place. So really, you know, JP is an inspiration to me. Um, hilarious dude. And you know, I don't know what what else to what else to say. Like I said, I mean, I think this was a great conversation, and there's really no no need for me to to really give one of the, one of my famous rants today. I guess one of the things I will say is this: you know, talking with JP, I, I don't know. I feel almost like um, I have a, a sort of chameleon kind of quality, and I feel like whenever I don't know if you guys can relate to this or not, or if this is a natural kind of human thing, but I feel that I, you know, if I'm around people who are funny and who are uplifting then i become more funny and and uplifting and um you know when i'm around people who are a little bit more serious and a little more negative it's a little more difficult to be uplifting and funny and sometimes i myself get trapped into being uh a little bit too aggressive a little bit too uh hardcore and even if even if the message that i'm preaching is 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 true it's I'm delivering it in a package that's, you know, a little um, abrasive for a lot of people, and and you know, there's I always have to kind of try and check myself. Obviously, if I don't, then I might wreck myself. Okay, um, I took a chance there. I just went for it. But th- this is this is a, the one of the things that I think that I'm currently dealing with in my life, and that's why I think it. You know, I was saying it's such a pleasure to talk with JP. Um, because I feel like I really connected with him on that kind of humorous level where, and you'll hear us talk about this in the show, permission to, to, to be comedic, you know? And I think that a lot of times with a lot of the material that I get into on this show, on some of the YouTube videos, I mean, you can go on my YouTube channel and it's kind of all over the place. I have some comedy videos. I'm doing some Alex Jones impressions and I'm, you know, I have some stand up comedy on there. And then I also have like really super like dark and like hardcore shit like it's and it's i don't i don't really you know i i i'm trying to i'm trying to deliver the message in a different package and i think that uh you know i i i've been i've been feeling this way for a while i think that there's a, a balance that has to be made and i think we all go through this and i talk with jp about this in this episode um about finding, you know, really connecting to that track, really hitting that sweet spot and finding what really works and how how the uh the message that you're trying to convey can can be communicated in a way where it's appealing to people and it's not uh it's not threatening people and it's not making people feel uncomfortable, but it's actually 
bringing light and levity to the situation and inviting people in, asking questions. James Altucher is uh, is an author that I respect a lot, and one of his rules is instead of you know declarative statements like the you know the war on drugs is an absolute failure, you know to say it would be like to say something like, well, is the is the war on drugs has the war on drugs been a success or has it been a failure? And it's a little bit different. It's a little less aggressive. It's a little less threatening. I think that a lot of times I fall into those traps and um, and I, I have a tendency to be really punkish in, in the way that I communicate sometimes and almost like schizophrenic. You know, it's like there's there's this side of me that totally loves absurdity and humor and and comedy, yet Sometimes when I feel like I'm I'm talking about certain issues that I talk about on this podcast, uh, things that have to do with maybe you know war and 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 laws and and government and corporations and and you know poisoning the planet and these sorts of things, I have a tendency to get so worked up about these things that I let my anger kind of get the best of me and I forget to kind of inject a little bit of levity into the into the dialogue in order to be more of a, have more of an inviting conversation, a less threatening conversation. So if there's one thing that I could say after just wrapping this conversation with JP Sears, I, uh, I, I really have taken, uh, he's really inspired me to, to, to embrace more of that comedic element of my persona and, and, and inject that into some of the areas uh, in which I, I tend to get a little bit more serious and really check myself before I go too far and, and, and get, uh, you know, just uh, too hardcore and too off-putting. Um, yeah, anyway, so look, the guy's fantastic. And, you know, go check him out. Like I said, Awaken with JP. I think he's Awaken with JP on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram, and on Twitter, and on Snapchat, Awaken with JP. It's JP Sears, author of How to Be Ultra Spiritual, JP Sears, 12 and a Half Steps to Spiritual Superiority. And I hope you guys enjoy the show. And look, guys, if you do enjoy this show, we're up to 59 ratings and reviews, five-star ratings and reviews, might I add, in iTunes. And I mean, I am just so thrilled and humbled and honored and just uh, um, amazed that, uh, that, I, that I deserve 59 five-star ratings and reviews. You know, I'm, being, being a kind of a creative person and putting this podcast out and creating things, it's, there's, I always feel that it's not good enough. It could be better. And and I'm always trying to strive to make it better and to improve it. And so I appreciate all of your feedback. One of the people that left a, a review recently said that you know I could turn down the intro music a little bit. So thank you. I appreciate the feedback very very much. I want to make this show really good, really really good. And I have you know like I said, I have no I, I have no I have no ego. Uh, you know my ego is so small, smaller than yours. It's diminished. So please, you know, don't don't feel like, oh, I can't send them that or I can't send them this. Send it to me, please. Send it to me. I want feedback. I want to improve this show. I want to make it the best that I possibly can. It means the world to me that you guys would take the time to go and leave ratings and reviews. And you know, to the people that leave to donate to me on Patreon, that's patreon.com slash Mike Brank. 
you know, thank you even more. Clearly, you're way better people than the people that only leave ratings and reviews. You know who you are, Patreon people, supporters of this show. And if you enjoy this show a lot and you really want to contribute and go the extra mile, you know, really a dollar or two a month is is more than enough. If everyone who listened to this show contributed a dollar or two a month, we would be in a very good position to be doing this full time, to be investing in better equipment, to be booking, um, you know, keep booking big name guests and, and just keep producing and making really quality content. I mean, I am, I am very obsessed with producing quality content. And, you know, right now I'm a little bit limited just due to financial constraints and things like that. So, you know, I've had a lot of people made requests. You should be making YouTube videos. You should be doing this. You should be doing that. Trust me, I want to do all these things. But I'm a little bit limited in in time because I have to have a day job and I have to I have to spend time uh, earning money to have time to then do this. Uh, but if I can make this more of a full time thing, that would be amazing. And you know, I know it's not going to happen overnight, but every little bit counts. So whether you know it, the best way that you can help out the show, the best way that you can support this show, if you like the content that I'm providing to you, if you enjoy it, if you're having a good time, just please like it, share, subscribe, tell your friends, tell people about it, you know, uh, promote it for me. Um, go on to iTunes, like I said, leave a five-star rating and review. You don't even have to write a review. You could just leave five stars if you, if you think that the show deserves five stars. And, um, and yeah, and if you want to go the extra mile, like I said, go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank. And for as little as for as little as a dollar a day, you know, no, not, not a dollar a day, a dollar a day, a dollar a month. So it's like three cents a day, really. I mean, it's nothing. So if you can do that, I mean, that would be great. And, you know, we're going to we're going to build this thing. I I love all of you guys. You guys are uh, are are the world to me. You guys, uh, you know, lift me up, carry me along, give me motivation, inspiration to keep going, keep producing podcasts. You know, I'm not a perfect person. I get, I go through ups and downs. I have down times, and it's in those down times where I go to, you know, the ratings and reviews, and I look at them and I say, okay, you know, there's there's something here. I, I have to keep going. I have to keep producing. I have to keep trying to be. Uh, the best Mike Brancatelli that I can be. Now I can I can share and I can pass that on to you guys and hopefully inspire you guys to be the best people that you can be and just create awesome shit, quality shit, and have fun doing it uh, together. Um, and that's what this podcast is all about. Me and JP, we had fun together in this episode. I hope you guys enjoy. Without further ado, here's my conversation with the one and only, the hilarious JP Sears. Enjoy, everybody. Psychedelics are illegal, not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody 
ourselves, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Words of perception. Information is power, but we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. Rushing around trying to get in my meditation before this interview. <laughs> so, <That's> so ironic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, are, right are you, on, brother. Are you in Costa Rica right now, still? I am. I'm here for another week and a half. Excellent. Yeah, I um I spent about a month down there last year, uh, around January, and I, I saw the video you released. I was dying laughing. It was so spot on. It was amazing. <laughs> well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. And apparently it was spot on enough that you know, a lot of a lot of locals around here didn't really uh, appreciate the exposure. Well, you know, I guess that's that's what happens, right? But um, yeah, thank you for joining me. I'm, I'm really uh, honored that you're here and um, in, in voice only, but uh, you're still here. Excited for you and I to be surfing the cosmos of consciousness together. Oh man, you just used my favorite kind of terminology. That's awesome. All right, I'm excited too. <laughs> so, cosmos, nice. Oh, actually, yeah. J- just one question, just yeah. so I know where to direct my antenna. But I was more just curious. Where in the world are you located? I am in New York City. Okay, very cool. I was in New York. Uh, let's see. I think like three times in the month of May. Yeah, I think I was trying to catch you while you were around, um, but I, I wasn't able to. Um, yeah, New York is, it's just, you know, New York in August is wonderful because you really get that accentuated uh, urine smell in the subways that's like very, very nice this time of year. The uh, the rats, uh, they really come out and it's just really just a nice garbage soaked uh, place. <laughs> it, yeah, it's like three dimensional poetry. And- when I was there, I think the last time I was there in late May, it was it was a spell of like mid nineties, high nineties heat, and man, the the smell of the garbage that's literally sitting in trash bags, not garbage cans, on the sidewalk, that really gets you in touch with your senses. I mean, you don't know you're alive <laughs> until you smell the New York garbage. In 97 degree heat, that's actually more magnified by all the concrete pavements. So, yeah, man, yeah, that that was like a, a whole just spiritual journey right there. Yeah, it really it really brings you into reality hard. Um, yeah, man, I'm 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 trying to I'm 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 looking to move out of here actually pretty soon because it's just uh, the environment is pretty uh, it's pretty intense, it's a pretty intense environment. I've lived here for eight years, and you know, it's it's I think it might be enough. But um, let's let's talk about you. Let's talk about so. Sure. So yeah, you're you're a hilarious, um, you know, internet uh, famous person now. But before you were you were just a kind of a, a measly old little healing coach, right? <laughs> you were just a regular yeah. old regular old Joe, just like <laughs> all the rest of us. 
before I was somebody, I was just helping people. Oh God. But awful. Yeah. Yeah. A measly old healing coach. I, I worked under the umbrella of what I called emotional healing coaching. And I had been doing it before I released my first comedy video, 13 years of that with my one-on-one -on -one client practice. And then I think it was roughly, uh, since 2006, also traveling the world, teaching classes, workshops, leading retreats. So yeah, I was, I was doing that kind of thing before I ventured into the world of comedy, at least like a, a professional expression of the world of comedy and word professionals using quotation marks. I don't even know what that means. Yeah. Don't, don't worry about it. I'm, I am a professional non-professional, so it's uh, totally, <laughs> totally cool. Um, but I, yeah, I'm interested in, in this kind of, um, what, what led you to say, I, I want to be an emotional healing coach. What 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 spurred that decision on? I think something we've all heard a million times, we desired to teach what we need to learn the most. Mm. So I needed emotional healing work. I, I, and I'm, I'm not trying to project myself as some like Olympic caliber case of trauma. I personally believe all humans need emotional healing work. I think our strength comes from our wounding, and I don't think any of us need to go out and create intentional emotional wounds just so we can get stronger. I think they're embedded in us from our childhood, as mostly we don't know it. So, man, I needed healing. I needed to figure out how to get into my freaking heart and how to be vulnerable, how to not just be stuck in the limited space of my head. And let's see, I was about 18 or so when I, yeah, well, I was not 18 or so. I was exactly 18 when I dropped out of college after a, a few scholarly months of skipping all my classes and just knowing college isn't for me. So that's a lesson learned in a semi-expensive way. And then I, I was you know, into exercise and got into nutrition. And those were some doors that opened some doors that got me into the door of emotions, uh, a world that was very foreign to me. I previously had thought like, yeah, weak people have emotions and the strong ones don't. So what else is there to it? Mm -hmm. Apparently there's a lot more to it. So I was just projecting my need for healing on other people. And I'm glad I did that. I, I was too arrogant to acknowledge and uh, for myself that I need healing, let alone take the effort to nurture myself. So Man, I deep dove into my heart from a sort of like a dualistic uh, perspective of help myself and help other people. Yeah, well, that's, that's great. I mean, I think that that's a really like proactive, positive thing to do because I think a lot of times what could happen is that people can, you know, because they're suffering, they have pain, they have a need to heal themselves. They can engage in a lot of destructive activities that don't necessarily yeah. serve anybody or themselves and they try and heal that way. And then, you know, what, you, what yeah. you've done is you've, you've, you've kind of, you know, taken on the Batman role of like, look, I, I'm afraid of bats and I'm going to become <laughs> a bat, right? Like, um, so that's, a, that's that. awesome. Um, and Mike, I wanted to ask you, it just feels like the appropriate time. Would you be my Robin? I, I would totally be your Robin. Yes. I, I just don't want to wear the tights. Can I, can I be the Robin that well, wears like the armor? Say, no, no. Oh, you, I have to wear the old school tights? Choose. All right. Tight okay. green Speedo tights. That's what, it, that's what the job's all about. Well, if that's what the job requires, then by, by God, I'll, I'll do it. By golly. 
<laughs> you, yeah, God, you are a man of service, Mike. Your country will thank you one day, even though they won't know that you are Robin. So they actually <laughs> will never thank you. <laughs> yeah, they, they definitely will never thank me. My country does not like me. Um, <laughs> well, that's yeah. I mean, that's it, it sounds like it sounds like when you when you kind of like had that realization, was it was it clear to you? that was the realization at first you're like oh i'm in pain i need healing so and i'm projecting that like i i want to help like that means that i need to help others or was it something that you kind of had to unravel and figure out oh yeah definitely unravel super sloppy i mean here like in two minutes i make it sound very clear cut neat tidy realizations and then actions in my life when i was 18 figure out emotional human work it's like no no i mean it's easy in hindsight to conceptualize it in two minutes of relatively clear coherent thought but in truth it, you know it's a few years of just sloppy awkwardness where i don't know what the hell's going on i feel lost but i pretend like i'm not lost i'm searching i don't know what i'm searching for and i don't even know that i'm searching even though i'm searching so yeah awkwardness uh, and i would call myself the blind man stumbling along you know no no disrespected blind people or people who can see, but you identify as a blind person, you know, be who you think you are. Uh, so, yeah. And, and, and I would say there, there was so much insecurity in my late teens, early twenties, damn it, mid twenties, late twenties too. And I'd say all the way up until like early thirties I'm 36 now. Mm-hmm. I'd say up until I was 33, I was insecure as hell for many reasons. And I'm still insecure, probably just insecure in different ways, but insecure because I didn't know what the hell I was going to be doing in the world. And I'd latched on to meaningful work, working with clients, but it's like there, there was something intangible that just didn't feel calibrated. And so as much as I would sell myself this story, like, okay, I'm doing work with clients. This is the end all be all. This is what I do in life. I, I knew there was something not quite calibrated. And so it was very insecure. It's like, well, I don't know, like, when am I going to make it? And what's it going to be? Mm. And then once I started doing the comedy videos, I think it was, I don't know what it was, probably, doing those for nine months and, you know, still doing the client work along the way, probably nine months after doing the comedy videos, that's when I felt like my feet were on something solid. Like, okay, now, now things are calibrated and like the insecurity about where are my feet going to land? That insecurity was exchanged for probably a, a deep sense of purpose and faith so that was, yeah, yeah, long story short, I just want to acknowledge and, you know, praise all the insecurity and awkwardness and sloppy stumbling along. I, I would not want to do anybody the disservice of sounding like, yeah, my path was clean cut and just, you know, so easy to navigate. Yeah, far from it. You were touched by an angel. That was that was what happened, right? You were you were birthed, that, that was, birthed out of the heavens. <laughs> that. Yeah, that was it. You know, sat under a tree for a year and a half meditating. And then I walked out of the forest wearing nothing but a loincloth. Don't even know where I got the loincloth. But yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I think you're you're right though because I think it's you know and it's weird and you know what I do too sometimes I feel like it's, it's this weird kind of thing and I've heard you talk about this where you talk about giving yourself permission. You know, I've, I've, I found that to be very, very interesting. It's like, you know, I think a lot of people out there can relate. A lot of people listening to the show and a lot of people out there just not listening to the show who want to listen to the show, who don't know that they want to listen to the show, but will. <laughs> and and it's like, you know, they're, they're walking around, they're thinking like, there's got to be something more, there's got to be something I got to do, but they don't quite know yet, but they want that thing and maybe they're forcing it yeah. or they're projecting or something. Um, but did you always feel like were you you were you seem like a naturally funny person? Like were you always just like funny, and that and that was something that you just knew you were good at? Or well, I'm offended that you've just downgraded me <laughs> to funny. I think earlier you called me hilarious. So Damn it. you know, just would you mind rephrasing your question, Mike? Yeah, sure, of course. Were you always just the most hilarious individual you know? Oh, I appreciate you asking. I- <laughs> I would say, yeah, comedy's always come natural to me. Yeah, I was the class clown or one of the class clowns along with one of my best friends even still to this day, Matt Henry. And and I think probably much like anybody who has a dominant piece of their personality as a comedian, my my development of comedy came from pain. Mm. It's how I dealt with pain and you know it's it's a way of dealing with pain when i'm younger by not dealing with pain but using comedy to escape pain if i can make someone laugh then i don't have to feel insecure about myself I, if i make someone laugh it looks like i'm significant to them so that i don't have to feel as insignificant as i actually feel inside so it's like when comedy became my method of escaping pain, which by the way, I had no idea I'm escaping pain using comedy. I had no idea there was pain because comedy was a pretty effective escape mechanism. It's like you get out of it before you're in it. So when it's, when it was my mechanism for escaping pain, you do it a lot because no matter how funny you get and how many people you laugh, you're still on a treadmill running from yourself. So the pain's still there. So it's like you never rest. You're always doing comedy, whether it's being the the kid in class where you're like, okay, it's easy to make my friends laugh. And I do that a lot. Now my next challenge is I need to make my teacher laugh. Cool, did that. Now I need to make my teacher laugh more. Push the line between getting in trouble and making them laugh and playing with that making making my teammates laugh playing sports making the coach laugh so it's just a never-ending treadmill and the the beautiful part of that is it's like wow that developed a freaking awesome skill Mm -hmm. really did and like a lot of joy along the way i don't want to demonize using comedy to escape pain so a lot of practice there and And what I will demonize, though, is using comedy to escape pain, period. That's when we get into trouble. That's when you see comedians dying of suicide, dying of drug overdose, or actors doing the same thing. I think Robin Williams is a a huge example of this, one of the funniest people to ever walk the earth. And so much pain inside that comedy was no longer able to get him to escape his pain. So suicide became the, the 
strategy used to escape his pain. And I know I'm trivializing this, you know, incomprehensible thing that is Robin Williams' life into a short soundbite. So I don't mean to just trivialize it the sake of disrespecting the magnitude of his life. Yet that that's a potential perspective uh, that I like to consider. So when I was I don't know. Really, when I started my comedy videos, so about 33 years old, three years ago, that's when I started to intentionally use comedy to embrace my pain, embrace myself, understand myself, rather than escape myself. So I think comedy used to escape pain, period. That's the scary thing. Comedy used to escape pain, and then comedy used to embrace the pain, embrace the human being who you, you was once upon a time ran from, you know, using comedy to embrace myself rather than run from myself to say it yet another way. To me, that's the beautiful thing. And yeah, it, yeah nonetheless, having a lot of repetitions as a child, I think, helped sharpen my sword of humor, uh, helped sharpen my sword of reading people, understanding what I would need to do, say, or become in order to make them laugh. And it kind of like mining the material. And then there's the other phase, which is delivering the material. So a lot of repetitions with that. And I think it also helped. I was naturally a terrible student. And I like to say that I'm, I'm just such a gifted person that I have the ability to have an inability to learn about things that I'm not passionate about. Yeah. So all throughout school, I was very rarely passionate about anything we were doing other than going out to recess and gym class. So in order to entertain myself, I'd have to spend time trying to make people laugh and looking at things in sometimes comedic ways, but also other times just unconventional ways, which I think seeing things unconventionally is a, a dimension of comedy. Yeah. Uh, it's a, at least a resource. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I can, I can relate to that. Um, I, I always saw it as a way to kind of, you know, just like alleviate some tension and some suffering that was yeah. going around. You know, I, I, I think that, um, you know, we, we, we're definitely very similar in, in the fact that, and I think a lot of people who are, uh, putting themselves out there and, and expressing themselves in a creative manner, you know, just to kind of, you know, toot my own horn a little bit. Why not? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I always feel strange when I, when I talk this way, because it's like, kind of like, you know, who, who am I to say such things? But I think that it, there is, there is this kind of factor where it's like, you know, there, there is this choice that people make people such as yourself, like where it's like, look, like, let's let's just let's just alleviate the situation that is being alive because being alive has a lot of suffering that goes along with it and if yeah. you if you're gifted with the ability to see things that other people are not necessarily uh, able to and then ex- and then and then shine that light then that's that's a, a gift to be shared uh, with everyone and, and everybody appreciates it everybody everybody revels in the joy of of anybody that can make them laugh so it's a it's like a very very super powerful spiritual uh, thing right I mean would you would you would that be included in your definition of of what it means to be spiritual would it be like levity wit humor would it be included in that for you Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, there were, there was someone I was talking to recently who said, "Well, screw it, I forget what they said." So here's my freaking words on it: <laughs> a spiritual teacher who doesn't know how to laugh isn't a spiritual teacher. 
and the 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 quality of a spiritual teacher in my opinion is based on their ability to be playful i think lack of playfulness is something that we've mistaken for maturity for a long time like okay you grow up you get serious right no no i think i think that's just an old person who's very immature Mm. i think maturity true maturity involves playfulness not just playfulness but that is a huge part of a mature life being able to be playful what else makes life worth living more than playfulness now, I'm sure there's great answers to that question, but I think freaking playfulness is one of the factors that really makes life worth living. So, man, and I think like life is so goofy. Like when we think about like what life is, you're born and there's this thing that we call a certain death. You know, whatever the mystery is on the other side of the gateway of death, like nobody knows at all. Kind of pretend like we sort of know, but we're all secretly scared to death of death. <laughs> so yeah. So there's that, and then along the way, man, there there's challenges, there's pain, there's suffering, there's joys, there's heartbreak. You will have people in your life who you love dearly, and they will die. Like when we break down what life is, it is a really goofy adventure. And if we don't know how to laugh at ourselves, then I think we'll take ourselves so seriously that we don't enjoy this goofy, confusing adventure called life. And I think it was Oscar Wilde who said something along the lines of, life is too important to take seriously. Yeah, 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 I've heard that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and I love that. And I think when we can laugh at ourselves we replace the gravity of seriousness with the levity of laughter. And I think laughter, when we're laughing at something, not from a shaming perspective, but from a place of understanding and accepting ourselves. So when we're laughing at something about ourselves, to me, that is non-attachment in motion. We are letting go of some kind of belief or attachment to a belief when we're laughing at ourselves. And to me, that is a very, very uh, spiritually connecting phenomenon where we're letting go through laughter the things that make us disconnected spiritually, the things that we identify with that aren't ourselves, the things that make us feel less connected from other people, less connected from ourselves, less connected from our source, whatever the heck that is. So I do believe that laughter truly can be very spiritual medicine. And I also believe that uh, any great medicine can be used to help and it can be used to hurt. We all know laughter can be used to bully people, make fun of people, shame people. So I just want to acknowledge with responsibility that there's that side just because we're laughing, just because we're getting other people to laugh, doesn't mean like we're spiritually uplifting everybody, though it might. It, it might mean, yeah, well, I'm just a bully right now. Right. Yeah, no, but I think so that's... Well you, you, that. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's like, you know, I remember when I first saw one of your videos, uh, I was just like, okay, this guy just nailed it. Like, it was just, it was like, there's, there's so much... Um, there's there's so much rigidity i think in a lot of these kinds of uh i don't know what you would call them i guess communities or or whatever where people think 
okay, I'm 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 a spiritual person, and that means I need to I need to be a certain way. There's I have to I have to be a vegan, and I have to meditate an hour a day. You know, there's there's kinds of rules that people kind of impose on themselves. I think. And it's very, very interesting to me because I think that there's if there's one thing that I always find to be really strange about human beings is the the uh, like when we're kids, we're all just kind of weird freaks and we run around and I love I love that. I have a little nephew. He's like two years old. I love hanging. He's my favorite person to hang out with (laughs) by far, by far. And and uh, it's because everything is just he's just him he's just weird and he's crazy and he's him and it's we lose that somewhere along the way and we get to this like weird place where everybody's just like well i'm you know i'm 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 being a normal person you're acting strange you're you're acting very strange right now and i know you've talked about this a little uh, a little bit in some of your videos online i know i saw i saw a ted talk you gave what what what's the deal with that why why do you think people are are so rigid and, and want to be normal and conform to the you know to 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 this weird bland, lame normalcy. And yeah, yeah, I love, I love this topic probably because I need to learn about it more. I believe one of the most fundamental factors that keeps people infected with a self-induced disease of normalcy is their fear. The fear that's still with them from their childhood programming. So in what is it a fear of? Ultimately, I believe it's a fear of disconnection. So when we're a child, like we're all freaking needy as hell. When we're children, we're codependent, and and helpfully so. We need people to take care of us when we're children, both physically, food us, clothe us, shelter us, and psychologically. And if that doesn't happen, we will probably die when we're children. So the idea of staying connected, even if it's staying connected to a very abusive person, that's why children will just unabashedly love their abusive parent or love someone who molests them. So our need as children to stay connected is based on our need to survive. And then then we look at, well, what do we use as the currency of connection when we're children? One of the prime currencies of connection is approval. When we get other people's approval when we're children, we feel connected. Like, ah, yeah, mom and dad smiled at me because I acted the way they wanted me to act. And they're approving me. And they're, when they're approving me, I feel connected and I feel protected from them ever leaving me. Cool. So what do we have to do in order to get people's approval so we feel connected? And my answer to that is not act like yourself. No. Act the way other people want you to act. That's how we get their approval if you do the math. Mm-hmm. And... And the idea of acting like our unapologetically weird, authentic self, that, you know, we learn, not intellectually, but through this interpretive dance of life, I believe that many of us learn, okay, not only is being myself at times not going to get me approval, which makes me scared because I might not have connection if I don't have approval, but sometimes it'll actually get me disapproval which feels like strong disconnection when people disapprove of me. So we learn like, wow, being myself actually feels like a threat to my survival. Because if I am myself and someone doesn't approve of that, 
then I feel disconnected from them. And when I feel disconnected from them, that activates a deep primal fear I have, being scared to death because they won't be here to take care of me psychologically and physically. So with that said, sometimes we learn by sometimes I think it's all of us to a degree. We learn that being ourself is the enemy, not the friend, but being the way other people want us to be, i.e. being normal. That's the friend. So, mm. so we, we take on this mission to inject ourselves with more and more normalcy so that we can feel safer and safer and safer. And eventually, hopefully, we wake up and say, well, gosh, like, this feels awful. Like, it, I feel very safe, yes, and that feels awful because now I'm in the coffin of my comfort zone. It's very safe in here, but it's also lifeless. And usually it takes a few decades for us to wake up like, this feels very lifeless. So then I think we're in the place of the hero being called to adventure on the hero's journey where now the mission is we have to become willing to feel scared to death in order to live our life. And living our life isn't being normal. Like that's living someone else's life. That's being someone who we're not in order to get approval. So being willing to be scared to death and actually in order to live our life means that wounded inner child inside who feels like, wow, I might die if I'm disconnected from. And, uh, you know, and if someone doesn't approve of me, then I feel disconnected and it feels like I might die. So now the task is we have to be willing to feel that fear of death rather than avoid it. It doesn't mean it's going to, that we're going to die from it. It just means we'll feel like we're going to die so, or we'll have the fear as though we're going to die. So I think in the name of elevating into ourselves, we have to be willing to risk being ourselves because oftentimes nobody's going to approve us for being ourselves. Sometimes we'll feel very disapproved of, very disconnected from. And other times, like nobody's disconnecting from us, but we feel like they are because that's what we expect. So, man, I think it, it takes a lot of courage, honestly, to be our weird self. And, and I think part of the courage is when we look at the idea of like, instead of just being normal, playing it safe, being normal, why don't you be yourself? Like, okay, well, the first scary question is, who am I? Mm. I've spent 36 years being who I think I'm supposed to be, which I thought that's who I was, but I found out like that's exactly who I'm not. So now I'm being born again for the first time when I'm 36 years old or however old you are. And it's a very scary question to ask, like, like who am I? So maybe the first answer is like, okay, who you are is someone who doesn't know who they are. And that's okay. That's really awesome. In order to discover more of who we are so we can be that, I think we have to have a mindset of curiosity and, and being able to embody the idea that says, I don't know who I am, but I'm searching. That is curiosity in motion rather than a sense of certainty that says, I know who I am. Yeah. I think that sense of certainty is actually what separates us from who we really are. And it keeps us confined to the coffin zone or confined to the coffin of our comfort zone. Yeah. So man, I think to, to cure ourselves from normalcy, which is to embrace our weirdness takes a lot of adventure, a lot of courage, a lot of vulnerability. And I think it's a sloppy process. 
For sure. Yeah, definitely. I, man, that was great. I, I, I agree. And I think that, you know, we live in this environment that doesn't necessarily foster this kind of behavior to come out. It's, it's very much, um, you know, I would think that, you know, for people, it, it, you have to be kind of aware, I think, to, to have these sorts of questions to say, you know, what's wrong with me? Who am I? Because a lot of people don't know because they just don't have the, the kind of introspection or the, the time or that it doesn't even occur to them. They just, they're just, yeah. you know, it doesn't, it doesn't reach them. It doesn't break through to them. And then they, they have all these, these problems that come out. Um, but when somebody does have that kind of inkling, like when you had that feeling of like, I think I'm going to start making comedy videos now. Um, and I'll, I'll go back to kind of what I mentioned before about allowing ourselves to give, to give permission. So what, what does that look like when you say like, okay, I'm going to give permission to, to myself to do this thing or to, to take this step or to be that person? What does that, what does that mean? I think what it means in its most practical sense is we walk in the direction that makes us scared hmm. instead of avoiding the fear or going in the opposite direction. So when we have the idea to do something, we walk in that direction, even though it makes us scared. To me, that is the, the most practical way to give ourselves meaningful permission. And, and I, I do really want to emphasize the walking part, the, the taking action on something that makes us scared. So I think it is very easy for us to think about things that make us scared. Like, it would be kind of scary and risky if I did this or that or started this business or left this job, this relationship. But I mean, I think it's so easy to hide out in our heads. So we're in this three-dimensional body for a reason. I don't know what that reason is, but I would guess one of the reasons might be we're supposed to use it. So taking action, even though that action scares us, yet somehow we have the idea for that action, some spectrum of inspiration for it. Man, nobody's going to come along and say, Mike, JP, you now have permission hmm to walk in the direction that makes you scared. Nah, they'll never do that. In, in our natural programming, just from us growing up as human beings, is one of self-preservation where we don't go towards things that make us scared. We go in the opposite direction of things that make us scared. So we wrote the programming inside our own minds and bodies. So I think we're the only ones that can and will give ourselves permission to betray that programming that once upon a time, I think it served us really well. Yeah. Yet I think there's a paradox. What served us well will eventually betray us. And I think that programming that helped us originally as children now betrays us and works against us. So man, I love the, you know, baptize ourselves into our own freaking lives, give ourselves permission to be scared in the name of actually freaking living our life. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's like this counterintuitive approach to walk to to the realm of the uncomfortable, walk the the path that involves a little bit more difficulty and pain. Yeah. But but there is this other like in, inner intuition that says, yeah, do it, do it. But then there's that voice yeah. that says, no, 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 don't. Like we need to preserve and be comfortable. So it's like wait, like I I feel that you know I've I've definitely struggled with that in my life, and I feel that um, most people I think can relate to that. I think one of the reasons I just recently watched The Matrix again for the 
Like, I don't know, like the 20th time. I love that movie. And I think a lot of people love that movie so much because they can really relate to the main character, Neo. And when Morpheus tells yeah. him, like, look, you've had this feeling your whole life. You feel like something's a little off. It's like, I think a lot of people do have a little bit of a feeling that it's like, you know, we're walking around in this kind of weird environment. Like you said before, life is kind of goofy. And there we get, like, several different messages. So it's like, you know, the power, like, I, I, I'm a big believer in, in like, going with your gut you know i i i, yeah. I you know the, they say the gut is like the second brain because of the, the amount of neurons that are tightly close together or something like that i i read in a, yeah. a book one time but i didn't really memorize it but it's like uh, <laughs> it's like you know it's like go with your gut go with your instinct but what you know some people might say well that's you know we we need to take calculated risks we need to make sure that yeah. we're not just jumping and being spontaneous but how important is that to 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 do that is that is that something that that you've struggle with or you've done or have, have you benefited from that, you know, kind of being guided by your intuition? Yeah, definitely. The, you know, I don't like to make decisions based on what I think. I like to make decisions based on what I feel ah, and yeah. what I feel. I'm not talking about like emotionally. I'm talking about that gut feel that is the intuition. And I think going in the direction of intuition, which oftentimes is the very direction that scares us because it's usually guiding us into something new. I think life wants to evolve through us. So it's probably not guiding us to the same thing over and over and over and over again in the familiar realm. It's probably guiding us to grow and expand. So when that happens, to me, there's always the conflict. There's the self-preservation instinct that says, don't go there. It's scary. And then there's a self-realization instinct, uh, intuition that says, go there because it's scary. Right. Go there because it's unknown. And then the self-preservation instinct says, don't go there because it's unknown. So being able to take action is not a matter of waiting for there to be no conflict in just one singular voice inside our head that says, go there. It's like, I think we'll be in the waiting room of life forever <laughs> if that's what we're waiting for. But to me, the self-permission is granted, even though there is that conflict that says, don't do that. And the gut says, do that. And with regard to calculated risk, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about talk from like a financial odds probability perspective, that kind of thing. It's just eh, not my field. of. I was expertise. hoping to get some financial advice out of you, actually. Yeah, you know, <laughs> buy low, sell high. Bitcoin apparently is a good thing right now. Anything cryptocurrency. So yeah. there's the financial advice. Nice. Um, but here, when it comes to calculated risk, to me, there's merit there. And it's also a potential huge cop out. The, the term calculated basically means think about it. It's mm. like, okay, the, the problem of thinking about it is you're thinking about it. Your gut, your instinct, your intuition, that's not a thinking process. Einstein himself said the rational mind is a faithful servant. The intuitive mind is a sacred gift. So to me, a calculated risk could be a cop-out that just means I am just thinking about it. And I'm stuck in my analytical head while I'm appearing to have the illusion that I'm consulting my gut instinct. So to me, what a calculated risk is, we ask our prefrontal cortex, which is our thinking mind. I'm glad I have one. We ask our prefrontal cortex, will this actually physically kill me? And if it says yes, it's like, okay, that's a risk I'm not, worth, I'm not willing to take. You'll walk in the direction of fear. Well, not if it's going to 
actually kill you. Walk in the direction of fear. Well, if if I feel scared to death, but my my logical brain can say, well, I'm not going to die from that. Okay, that's now a direction that I'm probably willing to walk. So it's like if you're if you're standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, you could say, well, if I step off, that's going to scare me. So I'll go in that direction. But no, to me, the calculated part is we ask our prefrontal cortex, what are the odds I'm going to die? And it's like, okay, that's 100% chance I'm going to die here. So I'm not going to do that. Yeah. But when I look at the idea of like, I have this idea to start painting and then publishing it online in some capacity. But that scares me because I'm not a painter. And what if nobody looks at it? Or worse yet, what if people do look at it? And then they might criticize me. Right. Okay. So I'm scared about going in that direction. Then here's the calculated part. I ask my prefrontal cortex, is that going to kill me? My prefrontal cortex will probably say there's a 99.999999% chance that will not kill me. So now is when I want to give myself permission to walk in that direction, be the courageous life warrior who is scared but takes action anyway. To me, the true archetypal warrior is one who feels fear, but they do it anyway. To me, the, the false warrior, this fearless character, that's a sociopath. Right. That's someone who's very disconnected from one of their prime sources of power, which is emotion. It's someone who's living a very unbalanced life. So to me, the true warrior that I think is something we can all strive to be at times we feel fear, but we do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you believe in the, you know, like I, I, I love the, the, what you just said and the intuition and all that stuff. And, and, but do you believe that there are outside forces that, you know, kind of like, you know, if we're submitting ourselves to these kinds of, uh, correct ways of being that is in alignment and harmony with our ourselves and our spirit and 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 our path and all this stuff. Do you believe that there is a sort of kind of invisible force that will help guide us? I don't know synchronicity or serendipity or whatever it is. Like the there's this thing that will just make sure that we're. Do you believe that or? Yeah, I do. Uh, it- and I, I won't at all get on my soapbox and get all dogmatic and say, damn it, it's the truth and just believe it. And say, yeah, it feels true to me. Uh, and I, I don't know exactly what to call it. And I won't pretend to be able to articulate what it's all about. But it's like, wow, that seems like that to me, where when I feel inspired by something, the more I honor that, even though it means I'll I'll probably get scared, probably stumble along the way. But the more I honor that, the more there just seems to be grace and ease and fulfillment in my life. And the more I, I resist and discount inspiration, intuition, and, and the creative muse, the more, I get disgruntled the the less I feel fulfilled inside, the more it seems like life has just more friction right now. Um, so yeah, yeah. Like I, if I was pretending to put language on it, I would say it seems as though there's something that wants to live through each of us. Mm. 
And if we can unkink the umbilical cord and allow it to live through us, then we're well nourished in all senses of the word. Much like the, the maybe, much like the fetus inside the mother, its umbilical cord connects it to something greater than itself, which is its mother. And if that umbilical cord is unkinked, and the flow from the source greater than the fetus to the fetus, it can flow unobstructed, like, wow, that fetus grows. It's well-nourished. And then once the fetus is born, the, the umbilical cord is cut. But I think there's actually invisible, intangible umbilical cords where there's a flow of psychological energy mm. and physical connection, too, between the, now the baby and what's greater than it, the family. Uh, and, and then, you know, when we do the math, like we then we leave home when we're 20 years old and it appears as, well, now I'm really cut off. Well, maybe, but maybe the way you're connected is just invisible. Maybe now the source greater than you is your community. And then maybe the source greater than you is your is something that you start your business. So, you know, I, I do think we're connected to something greater than us, be it our community, our family, our mother, uh, our higher self. And I think just most of those connections can't be validated by the five senses. But when we, if, and if this is true, when we honor the connection and what wants to come through the umbilical cord of any given connection, the more it seems as though life works out for us. Mm. Not necessarily in a way that things happen the way we want. I think actually a, a recipe for a crappy life is to get everything you want. Right. That you know, We have to ask ourselves, well, why do I want this? <laughs> what part of my dysfunctional ego is wanting this, by the way? But I, I think there's something far greater in life than getting what we want. I think being filled inside, having a sense of meaning and purpose and peace inside is greater than anything that our ego might want. And I think we get more of those things when we honor what wants to flow through the umbilical cord that connects us to whatever we're connected to. Yeah, I, th I agree with you. And I think that I think most people can, you know, definitely acknowledge that. But there's a lot of people, I think, that deny it or maybe not deny it, but they want to believe in this kind of materialist reductionist way of thinking. Like, if I don't see it, it doesn't exist. But I, I would have to assume because I'm a human being having a human experience uh, that 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 you know that I feel the same that other people feel what I feel and I feel energy I feel you know sure. I like you know I have I have a, a friend who's a pretty angry cynical you know nihilistic person whenever I'm around him I feel tense even if I go to his apartment yeah. it's like there's an energy there it's it, it, there's a created energy and it's real and I think that you know like. There, there's this kind of denial in our in our society to, to to only look at things that we can measure, that we can prove, and you know where does that come from? Like why why can't what what's the why can't we just embrace you know our uh, the the non uh, you know the metaphysical or the non you know tangible? And you know I think fear of the unknown is a very pervasive reality for all of us. Mm. The question is, do we allow ourselves to be afraid of the unknown, which means now we can have a relationship and curiosity with the unknown, or are we afraid of our fear of the unknown, which means we will be in active denial of right. what is unknown to us, 
So then it means like, okay, I'm going to live my life only looking through this narrow spectrum that our five senses can comprehend and everything else that exists, I'll pretend doesn't exist because these narrow faculties of mine can't comprehend what they're too small to comprehend. So, I mean, to me, that is a fear-based mentality. Yeah. And it's, I mean, and I know there's rationalizations from here until kingdom come <laughs> that will justify why a person will live in the doctrine of reductionism. If we can't measure it, then it doesn't exist. Well, you're looking to measure things with existing tape measures. What if things are at different frequencies than what your tape measures can uh, measure? Right. You know, science, like I think science is cool, but to, to believe that science can comprehend what's beyond science is a little bit, I would call it a little bit significantly ridiculous. It, to me, that's like looking at a a what a kindergartner can comprehend. Right. It's like, okay, they can comprehend one plus one. They can maybe comprehend two letter words. They comprehend a few other things. But then you look at, okay, college algebra, advanced physics, all of that doesn't exist because this faculty called the kindergartner doesn't comprehend anything beyond the kindergartner's comprehension. So to me, science is like awesome, but it's just a stage of development of consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that people do feel kind of threatened by something. They, you know, there's a, there's a great uh, ease about your life sort of when you can kind of box things up and just kind of say, well, I know this, that, and the other thing. So I don't have to think about that. I don't have to worry about that anymore. I don't have to live in any uncertainty. I don't have to accept any kind of mystery. I can just go about the world in my little bubble and anything that opposes my, my views it's threat. It's 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 so crazy. I mean, especially nowadays. I mean, I I feel like I don't know if it's nowadays or if it's just because of the internet or Twitter or whatever. But um, it seems that people are more and more emotionally reactionary, threatened, triggered, offended. I mean, yeah, you've done videos on this, so it's like it's 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 this whole thing of like, well, look, I'm I'm living in, and I think my theory is that like, we, you know, we're, this is the first time ever in history that we know of that we're connected in the way that we are. So yeah. all of our little mini bubbles, our little reality tunnels of how we perceive the world to be, and it's all crashing into each other and we're going, no, that's not right. This is right. I'll tell you what's right. So what, what <laughs> you know, it's like, um, is there, is there an ultimate truth or is there relative truth? And should we be concerned about, you know, I mean, I know, I know what your answer is going to be because you you shed light on this. You shed light on the absurdity of this. Maybe you could just talk about like your experience of dealing with people who get offended and triggered and emotional. I'm sure you've had some kind of responses to some of the videos you've made, right? Yeah, yeah. And you know, you I think you said it well, and you rattled off like, wow, such the zeitgeist of our times. Mm. People becoming connoisseurs of outrage, being offended. They become pro professional victims. Or let me find something to victimize myself about. To me, those those are all ways of, with emotional charge, trying to reaffirm a sense of certainty that that person has, which is essentially them having an active allergy to the mystery, the unknown, which is them, in my opinion, 
being afraid of their fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite authors, a guy named James Hollis, he's written a bunch of books. One of them is called uh, What Matters Most. He's a Jung psychologist, just br- amazing writer, both like what he writes, but also very poetic in nature. But he has a saying that I absolutely love. He says, the the level of ambition, uh, let me actually try to pronounce the word right. The degree of quality of life you have is proportional to your ability to tolerate ambiguity. So in other words, how much mystery are you willing to tolerate? If it's a lot, You'll have a good quality of life. If you're not willing to tolerate much mystery, it means you're going to be only tolerant to your sense of certainty, which has pretty much zero correlation to truth. It just has high correlation to your need to feel safe through an illusion of certainty. So if James Hollis is right, that means the degree that we need a sense of certainty, allergy to ambiguity in life, is the degree of a low quality of life we're going to have. And and I would challenge each of us to look at our own life, look at the lives of people around us and certainly people that we encounter online. The people who have the most outrage of offense, you know, self-righteousness, uh, trigger the most, all of those people from my point of view, are actively reaffirming a sense of certainty with emotional charge. And here's the question I'm asking us all to ask ourselves, how happy do those people actually seem? How good of a quality of life do they seem to have? And, you know, one man's delusional point of view, who happens to be named JP, is most of those people I encounter, generally speaking, have a very low quality of life. They feel very little peace and contentment. And that correlates with they have very low tolerance for ambiguity, for exploring mystery. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's interesting. And I, I feel that a lot of people, especially now in the age of of uh, of Hitler, Trump, that uh, that, you know, it's it's like, you know, the, the, it, this is the worst thing ever. We got to do something about it. So the outrage is warranted. And you know what? Trump, he preaches hate and violence. So, you know, we got to show up. We got to we got to we got to act out in hate and violence to stop his potential hate and violence. You know, it's this weird kind of thing. It's like, well, you guys are just playing into the same kind of outrage game that he's creating. And it's this whirlwind of of crazy confusion. I think a lot of times people it's just get whipped up in this in this thing. But uh, but hey, I I feel glad that you came on my show today and validated my tolerance and. And, and uh, you know, I, I feel I feel special because I know that I'm spiritually superior because of your book, you know, 12, 12 and a half steps to be spiritually superior. I mean, I read it. I thought it was fantastic. And, you know, I, I know that I am now a spiritually superior person. So thank you, JP. <laughs> and, and it's very humble of you to tell everybody that, Mike. I mean, I, I am a humble guy. You know, we, we sometimes we like to say this is the show where there's the, the no ego zone because I just don't have one. You know, I'm, I just have my ego is just so ridiculously gone. And, uh, you know, I don't even care uh, about uh, it, 
you are so advanced for not having an ego, but I, I just to set the record straight, I do want to let everybody know that I am more humble than you are. Ah, well, I guess I can't really argue that, but uh, I'll, I'll acknowledge that now. But secretly, I'll I'll go and stew in that later. <laughs> well, oh, listen, Mike, yeah, thank this... you so much for having me on, brother. Yeah, this th- has been a blast. Of course, yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, it's it's an it's an honor and a pleasure. Please tell people where they can go and find you and access your stuff and and get more of this uh, comedic wisdom. Yeah, the best place to find me is social media, Facebook and YouTube are the prime places, though I'm on the rest of them, but I'm always posting videos there. So all my social media handles are Awaken with JP. All right. Wait, well, if you guys want to get woke, woke as fuck, you got to follow JP. Go check out his stuff. You will not regret it. The guy is amazing. Thank you so much again, JP, for being on the show. Peace out, everybody. You know what to do if you love this show. Share it, like it, spread it with your friends. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell a neighbor, tell a coworker. And uh, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank. You can donate as little as a dollar a month. Or you could go on iTunes and leave me a nice five-star rating and review. Whatever you do, thank you for listening. Much love to you all. Peace. <laughs>